Hello and welcome to the Life Tools podcast. In school, we learned history and algebra, foreign languages and chemistry, but nobody taught us tools for life. How do we deal with self-doubt? What are beliefs and how do they influence us? How do we find ourselves when we feel lost? And how do we make a healthy decision? Many people learn these things much later in life, after three, four, even five decades of existence, and often the hard way. For a few, like myself, I had to learn them very early. I created this podcast to share with you the tools that have helped me greatly in my own life. They're small actions anybody can take that bring big results over time. Let's get to it. Hello! After a short break that I spent working on other things and spending a weekend with friends, I am back and this time it's with my very first interviewee. Bea, or Teacher Bea as she is known, is someone I chanced upon online and have been following for a while. For her bio, she has a bachelor's in early childhood education, a master's in reading education, another master's in guidance and counseling, and she also took a special education certification course. Twelve years ago, she opened Escuela Legarda in Manila, which she later turned into what is now Maya Forest School. I'm really excited for you to listen to this interview, especially if you are a parent, a teacher, a babysitter, or anybody who works with children, or even if you're someone who just loves children. So many people talk about education, but a lot of times it's grades and performance and how to make your kid a math genius. It's a rare person, at least I haven't come across many, who, like teacher Bea, talks about the well-being of children. It's not just their performance in school, but are they happy, are they confident, are they resilient, which, in my opinion, is what we should be aiming for. In addition, she also talks about what we adults need to change in ourselves. I always say, start with yourself. This goes for everything. If we want children to thrive, to be healthy, to be well, we have to change how we are doing things, how we are approaching them. This interview took place on Zoom, so the sound quality is not perfect. I chose it because other recording softwares require a certain level of technical skills that I currently don't have. This was originally 50 minutes long, edited down to 40 because there were a few technical glitches and scratchy parts that I had to cut out. But rest assured, all the material is here and only the non-essential parts were removed. A small warning though, my voice in this conversation where the recording was happening is a bit louder than teacher Bayes. I did not know this, it's my first time and so I did not think to make the necessary mic adjustments. But no worries, I'm not yelling, it's actually my normal volume, but if you have sensitive hearing like I do, don't turn the volume up too much. Also, if you hear a baby in the background, that's because her newborn was with her, which is why I am really, really thankful she agreed to this interview. So without further ado, here is my interview with Teacher Bea. Hello, Teacher Bea. Thank you for agreeing to be my first interviewee on the Life Tools podcast. Thank you for having me. I've been following your material for a while. I discovered you on Instagram, I think through the Forest School. And I love the material you share about motherhood, about kids, about their development, about self-awareness, growth. And I really love that you share it in an honest, authentic manner. You don't filter your photos. Sometimes we see the mess behind you. That's real life. So could you talk a little bit about your background and what motivated you to study childhood education? Well, you know, I think when we 
choose what course to take in college. It's actually, we're actually very young and we actually have no idea what we really want to be or, or where we think we're headed. But I knew I've, I always wanted to be with children. So something to do with children. So all the courses I applied for in all the universities I took the exam for had something to do with children, whether education, whether um, entrance for pediatrician, you know, mm -hmm. to be a doctor, like just something to do with that because my mom is a lawyer. Mm -hmm. and, well, she's, she's a lawyer and um, she's a lawyer for children who are abused and for battered women. So mm -hmm. at a very young age, I was already exposed to, you know, and aware of children and how they need a lot of help because they're all alone and, and they need a lot of, of advocates for them. Yeah. I knew I didn't want to be a lawyer, but still along mm. those lines of being for the child or with the child. At the same time, I was also a scholar for basketball. And so I chose a school that satisfied my educational needs, which is the education background. And um, I wanted to play basketball. So I went to La Salle and I took up early childhood education. And then after that, after graduating, I immediately took up a master's in reading education. And I opened the school already as well. And then when I was in school, when I was starting the school, there were so many children with autism and, and things that I've, I've never seen, I've, I've never dealt with, and I still had a lot to learn. So I had to take also a certification course in special education. Mm. And then um, when I got married, I became a mom. I moved regions and I took up another master's degree in guidance and counseling. Mm -hmm. So there, that, that's basically my, my background. Okay. Wait, when you shared about your mom, I guess that explains, in addition to your own motivation, your own love of children and education, that explains why you took this path. Because quite often, it's when we're exposed to suffering that we're motivated to, to seek a solution. Yeah, well, um, um, my mom was a single mom. So being a single mom, like she'd pick me up from work, but then have to go to another meeting. So I was always there. And I was, I didn't personally did not have any suffering. I mean, of course I had suffering, but not to the extent of what I witnessed or what yeah. I had to listen to. So, um, but it, 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 it did, of course, make a mark on me and cause yeah. a lot of awareness. And I wasn't able to be the same advocate my mom was, but in another way, I am able to yeah. still work for the child. So you own Maya Forest School, which is in Manila. I was yes. actually really excited. I, I first discovered the Forest School and I was really excited to know that this type of radically different alternative school exists in the Philippines beyond Montessori, beyond Waldorf. I didn't know it before. So could you share what's the philosophy behind a Forest School and, and what motivated you to open this type of school as opposed to other types? 12 years ago, I opened a preschool a progressive preschool called the Scalet Garda. And uh, after five, six years, I felt something was missing and I wasn't satisfied anymore. And I kept on searching and I was already mulling, should I close the school? You know, I mean, the kids were learning, they were happy. It was a progressive preschool like any other, um, but there was something missing, something that needed to be done. And, and the professor, showed me a video and said, look at this, I think you'd be interested in this. Mm. 
And so as I, you know, on YouTube, one video leads to the next, leads to the next. And so I discovered forest preschools. And it just so happens that our school is in our family residence compound. It's a one hectare enclosed forest area. So we have some family homes inside about two or three structures, but the rest is forest. And so I asked my grandfather if I could use the outdoors because I was using the library of my grandmother as the school, but could I extend to use the outdoors so that the children could be part of nature? So that's how it began around five, six years ago. We transitioned to a forest school. I went to Hong Kong to get trained as a forest school leader, and I had a, a teacher part of my family who went to the UK to get trained as a forest school leader as well. So a forest school is basically just children outdoors. Mm-hmm. There's no schedule, no activities. It's children exploring and children taking control of their learning. Adults are really just just guides. We just support, you know, what what they discover. So it's just kids really outdoors, basically. Okay. And we teach them empathy and things like that, like being connected to nature. Of course, being aware of their surroundings. So, mm-hmm. so would you say it's self-directed learning? Yes, it is. I mean, a lot of schools overuse a lot of terms. I'm careful of using child-led and developmentally appropriate and holistic. A lot of schools overuse and abuse these words. And when you look in the curriculum or when you go inside the classrooms, you see it's not really the case. Hmm. So I, I try to not use those terms, but it really, it is what it is. Hmm. Um, it's, it's really kids doing their own thing. Hmm. So you mentioned that you, you felt that there was something missing could you name what, what that thing was? Um, no, but, you know, children were already experiencing that shift, the technological shift. Uh, everyone was getting their kids an iPad. And we saw the difference also in children who were so soaked in the TV and, and the computer cell phone world that we saw in the classroom how they changed. And also a lot of our families were from the provinces moving into the city. So we heard a lot of stories from our students, four, five, six years old, telling us that they were six in one condominium, that they had no space, that they couldn't play, they couldn't be noisy because there were neighbors, there were no streets to run in. You know, in the province, they have this, they have that. So we saw that shift. And along with that shift, I mean, it is progress, right? Like, Families are getting better jobs, maybe, or can afford more things. But at the same time, there are some things that set them back. And it, it was the children who suffered, and we saw that in their behavior. I felt there was something that I should be doing to approach that or, or to deal with that. And, and it was the outdoors that was the answer. It's actually so simple. It was such a simple solution. We saw the results uh, almost immediately also when the kids were happier, they were mm. better able to, to control their emotions and to self-regulate, to just be more aware of others, mm. be more in the moment. So, yeah, so I'm, nice, I'm really happy to nice. hear that. 
I think in today's world and in the future, there will be an increasing need for alternative schools, different approaches. What are current practices within traditional education that you see are maybe unhealthy or will have to be eliminated? Well, I think in a way, um, in a way, the coronavirus, the pandemic has has some silver lining to it. Parents are now more aware, or adults are now more aware of what children need, of what children crave, and everyone's craving to go outdoors. No one wants to go to the mall. People <laughs> want to go to the beach. People want to go exactly. to the park. People want to run. They have to see grass. They have to see sand. They want to see a tree. And and I see a lot of parents say, "Oh, when this is over, we're going to go, you know, to the province and run and, and do all these things." And they had the chance before the virus. And, um, anyways. So now they're seeing the importance of that. And I think um, that, that when adults step back and finally see what damage we have been doing to the children in the past, mm-hmm. and now presently what our children actually need, hopefully they don't forget this feeling, this boxed in right. that, that we are experiencing and moving forward they do make the necessary changes. I, I just like to um, make a little, it's not traditional school. So traditional school, traditional schooling is just a way of teaching. It's mm-hmm. just blackboard and teacher, but it doesn't have to be developmentally inappropriate. It doesn't mean that what they're teaching is wrong. It's just how they're teaching it. Sometimes there are progressive schools that are still teaching inappropriate things. My biggest pet peeve personally is when we force children to do things they're not yet ready to do. Right. And that's simple. If you have a four-year-old write, he says he doesn't want to write. He shows you he's not ready to write. Mm-hmm. Yet we force and force every day, day in and day out, make him write. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's that's really my biggest pet peeve. So mm-hmm. traditional schools, it's just a way of preaching, but it doesn't necessarily mean that what they're doing is inappropriate. So I know there are some schools who are traditional in method, but in um, in curriculum it could be appropriate. Mm-hmm. So just to because you know I know a lot of people look at traditional schools like they're the bad guys and all of that, mm-hmm. but there are some out there who are are okay. So what all schools do, whether progressive or traditional. Uh, I really, I really don't like it when they force kids to do things they're simply not yet ready to do. Mm. I, I really like this idea. And I think more people need to hear it because I volunteered in a democratic school in Paris. And the whole idea is you wait for the child to be ready. And that readiness will be shown by their enthusiasm. They'll, they'll start looking for things. They'll start wanting to learn something. And when they're ready, they actually learn the material like 20 times faster. So fast. So yeah. fast. Uh, just just an example. My daughter, she just turned six. And I just enrolled her in kinder for this school year. And kinder is supposed to be five years old. Hmm. Um, but we were experiencing a pandemic. It was the first time to be online. She wasn't ready. I wasn't ready for it. And I had to figure out the school part. So I, I knew I couldn't focus on her anyways. And if she wasn't ready for it, it just wasn't going to work. It was just going to cause so much tension between us. 
and I let her be for one whole year. I let her be, right? And then today she's like writing words on her own. She's constantly looking for paper, writing letters, things. Mm. We never had to sit down and teach her because she wanted to learn it. Mm. And she's craving for it now. So her reading from zero words, zero, and nothing. She didn't even know the letter sounds to three, four-letter words. It was just three days. And wow. Instead of forcing children to learn letters, and it takes one whole year, and they still haven't mastered the letters because it, it's not purposeful for them. Mm. And they're not ready for it. They don't want it. They don't see the need for it. When they do, when they want it, then you know, and it just clicks. This concept of child readiness, is this something you learned in school? Because I wasn't exposed to it till I learned about democratic schools. And I don't know if this is, it's something they teach in child development courses. Uh, I don't know about now. I was in school like, like a few years ago. Uh-huh. They actually do. The, the teachers actually do teach. It's in all the theories of all the people right. who have already passed away. We just don't listen to it. Mm. because we're so used to doing what we, how we were taught or what we've always done. So it's not a matter of um, if it's being taught. It's a matter of are we listening. We see it as adults. We see the child not ready, but we, we're forcing our way because that's what we know. One, two, we want to seem proactive. We want to seem that we're not failing our children, that our children aren't behind, forcing them to do all these things because... You know, we want them to be successful in life, thinking if they write it now, they'll be daughters tomorrow. Mm. I don't know. So so it's just so many things breaking from this cycle. And um, it's a battle, actually, also, because when you graduate from school, you go to work and you have so many new ideas you want to try, but then you have to follow the school that... I, I understand that the struggle. <laughs> So you really don't have uh, much leeway there. Yeah. So when, when we put up the school, well, I, I put up the school and then I waited for my classmates because they, they graduated ahead of me. My, my partner finished her contract in the other school. She came and I'm working. But there we were able to do, because we, we didn't have bosses to tell us, no, we have all of the sprinkle of no, the parents want to do that. We did what we thought was was appropriate and we were bosses who were in the classroom so we could make the changes it happens anywhere in the government and companies corporations schools especially those making the rules those making the programs are not on the field they're not inside the classroom they're not mm-hmm. hands-on they have no idea what's going on so when you tell them it's not working they don't really care they just want to make sure that their programs are done so when, when we started the school, we were the bosses, but we also didn't have employees. We were also the ones teaching. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of adjusting. You know, let's do this. Oh, wait, it's not working. We have to, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like when you're given a program and it doesn't work, you have no choice but to continue mm-hmm. that program. So mm-hmm. that's, that's how we were able to see this yeah. isn't working and how we were taught and how we, we learned in other schools, it, it's not working. Hmm. That, that reminds me of, I don't know if you're familiar with Celine Alvarez. Uh, she's French. She wrote a book on 
children's development. And she said, it's crazy that we're still doing the things we're doing because the studies, they're already there. For, they've been there for years. We know about the neuroscience of, you know, children's brain Everything, development. Yeah. yeah. And we're, we're not applying it. We're, it's really just a matter of listening. Because yes, we can read all of this research. Yes, we can know all of it. And then what? Like, what are you going to do about it? So um, it's actually frustrating. But yeah. <laughs> what I appreciate about your material is you talk a lot about emotional development, um, giving children an emotional vocabulary, validating their emotions. Could you speak more about this? So um, this is more, I think, as a, as a mom, because, you know, when you're a teacher, you're in school, you're just with the kids for like three hours. Mm. So you don't really learn that much in terms of dealing with the children's emotional behaviors or their emotional maturity. So when I became a mom, I learned that, you know, I hear parents and I hear them say like, act better, do better. Mm. But you're not telling them how. You're not showing them how so when we give children the concrete things to say and the tools they need like really what they can use then everything just becomes so much smoother so much better for everybody and both even children as young as two are able to tell you already if not in words at least they know you know how to show you that they're not happy or, or whatever so so these are things that I really studied and I wanted also to share, which is why I started the, the Teacher Bay of Faith, mm. because I wanted to share with others that it's not enough to just say, stop it, you know, right. be, be better, do better, act your age or whatever that means, but um, things like that. So I, I noticed also when parents get angry at children, it's the parents themselves who also need to learn how to yes. control. I, I totally agree. <laughs> It's parents also who need tools, yeah. who need strategies, um, who need to learn how to regulate their emotions, how to reflect. So when we teach parents to catch themselves, to be more aware of what they're doing, then they are better able to teach their children. And one of the tools I would say is knowing that emotions are neutral, they're not good or bad. And it's very important that we validate children's emotions and also by extension, our own emotions. So could you explain what exactly is validating emotions? How do we do that? So validating emotions is basically just accepting the emotion as it comes, as it's given to you and realizing that it's not personal. It's not against you. It's not, um, they, they probably also... They don't hate you. They just can't describe it properly. Mm -hmm. um, so, but validating emotions is basically the saying, yes, I hear you. Mm -hmm. I understand. And it's not, it, you don't need to do anything else. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, mom, I hate her. The teacher, I hate her. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like, you don't have to say, no, you don't. You don't negate it. Mm -hmm. And you just accept it as it is. Because there are, are days also that we as adults feel that same hate towards somebody. And, and we wouldn't like it when somebody tells us, you mm. don't hate her. But at that moment, that's probably what you feel. And so like, let's 
right? Right. Mm-hmm. So so there. So it's 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 not simple really, but it's hard to do because adults like to fix things immediately. Mm-hmm. And so what I hear you saying is accepting the emotion and not not labeling it, not making it mean anything about the person. It's not something against you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes parents take it against, personally take it against them, or adults mm-hmm. take it against them. Mm-hmm. It reflects badly on the adult if your child is sad or crying or angry. When it's, it's just an emotion, just let it be. It will pass. Mm-hmm. So let's imagine a child is angry. They, they say, I'm angry. So you accept the emotion and then naturally the child would want to do things during this time, like hit someone or scream yeah. or whatever. So what do you do about that? We sit. We don't do anything. We let the emotion pass. Mm-hmm. Because the anger will pass. You're not going to be angry forever. When you're done being angry, that's when we decide, okay, what are we going to do now? Are you going to go back and play with them? Are you ready to go back and play with them? Mm. or do you just want to sit here alone by yourself Mm. play by yourself so these are all things that people can do they don't realize that it's actually that simple you Mm. just have to sit with the feeling Mm. and and then decide when you're not angry anymore when the emotions aren't so high would you say that when emotions are high that it's better to put the child in a private area so you know, they can feel their feelings. They, they don't act out. Like alone? You are with a child, but both of you are in a private space or semi-private space. It depends what the child wants to do. Sometimes we just sit out of the circle, mm. but near. Because they still want to be a part of the class. Mm. They still want to be a part of the group. They're just so angry at that moment. But they still want to watch. Yeah. So do, do you want to sit here first? Can we will just calm down here, we'll just watch them first. Mm-hmm. That's okay also. Mm. So we we don't have to be feeling the need to fix anything. That that's mm. see, like you're asking, what what do we do? Where do we go? What uh-huh. do we you just have to just sit there and mm. just wait for it? Like, like a child crying, eventually he or she will calm down. Mm. So I, I'm imagining a scene where <laughs> probably an angry child who's close to another child would want to hit that child or something or whatever, throw things. I read somewhere that something you can do. We stop and walk away. We we walk away as the adults? No, the child. So we say stop. Hmm. We feel so angry. So it's how do you feel? First of all, you have to equip the child with the tools before things happen. Hmm. So that when things happen, they are already aware. We, we can't teach the tools at, in at the, the middle moment. of a crisis. Yeah, the, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we, we give our children situations mm. when this happens, when, when, well, what will we do? So when I, I talk to my children, for example, when you're angry, what do you feel? Mm. Yeah, I, I saw this in one of your videos. And, and it's, and it's um, physical, it's emotional, how, how, does your heart feel? Can you feel it? Thump, thump, thump. You, you know, you feel your eyebrows. So when they're aware of the signs, then they're like, okay, I'm, I'm super angry now. And they understand their feelings and they don't, they're not lost. Like what's going on with me? What's, mm. you know, I feel like I'm being taken over by something I don't understand. Yeah. And when they're angry, then I say, okay, so when you feel that, you walk away. 
and then we will deal with it when you're ready. Mm. So when my daughter, my youngest, or my second screams mm. super loud, like she'll scream because she's so angry. She used to hit right away, but now she already knows, okay, I'm screaming. I know I'm going to hit. So she catches herself mm. and she puts, she puts her arm back down. Yeah. So now she, she can self-regulate. She knows, yeah. And she doesn't have enough words. So it, I mean, it's what I'm saying. We don't need the words. We just need to be more aware of our state. This is really, really important to know. Give children the tools before you reach crisis point. <laughs> but it's done random times, like uh-huh. storytelling. Oh, look at look at her. Look at her in the picture. She looks so angry. Why do you think she's angry? So mm. you have all these conversations because you know eventually that's going to be your child. And he or she's going to eventually have mm. that crisis, right? The same as in the storybook. Mm. So we've already spoken about emotions and how they're harmless, but I see that a lot of parents, they want to find another solution when their child misbehaves and they're irritated, they're angry, but they see no other way than punishing because in their minds, that's, that's how they grew up. That's how they were educated. The way you change a behavior is by punishing. So what would you say to parents who are stuck in this? Okay. So parents always ask about discipline. How do you discipline? Discipline this, discipline that. Uh, Discipline comes from the word education, to educate, so to teach. I think that the word discipline just got a negative connotation, that it has to be equal to punishment. So when we discipline our children, there doesn't need to have any punishment whatsoever because natural consequences of it is already enough. For example, if you know, you don't share with your friends, with your classmates, with your siblings. They won't want to play with you. And that's tough. You know, that's your, that's your consequence. And that's the teaching moment. And that's already part of the discipline when you talk to them and you make them realize why these things happen. Whereas with the punishment, it is obviously something that has to do with hitting or placing the wall or sending to time out. And a lot of parents say they don't want to do it, but they do it. Mm -hmm. And that means they don't believe in it, but they have no other option. They think nothing else will work. They claim to have tried everything. When I tell them, like, you you know, this is what I do, or this is what I suggest you do, they'll try it once, and then that's it. (laughs) And then they'll say, oh, but it didn't work. And then they'll just revert. (laughs) But, like, obviously what you're doing also isn't working. Right, right. So how how come that you, you're giving it a chance? And that's only because you're giving in to your anger and, and feeling the need to control. So you have to give it a chance, you know, to, to talk to your child multiple times. It's not going to happen overnight. When does anything happen overnight? But if you're spanking and you're sending the timeout isn't working, why do you still keep doing it also? So there, like when parents say that, they, they have no other recourse but to yeah. do it, then I feel like they just need to be a little bit more patient and try yeah. a bit. Not try the strategy, but it's more on keeping their patience and their emotions in check because sometimes they get so overcome by that, by the stress mm. of the situation. Yeah, so that it goes back to adults' self-regulation as well. And yes. also, I also talk about Uh, the need for self-awareness because sometimes what you call misbehavior is just a child being a child and so maybe 
it's the perception that has to change. So the, actually the perception is that we have to fix the children. Mm. That's always what adults think. Oh, I have to do this so that my child does this. But children are just doing what children are supposed to do. And it's just how we respond to them, how we respond to the child is what they learn from. Mm. So when a child does something, that's probably what they took from us. Mm. So, and I'm not 100% self-regulated, of course, who is, right? And I see it in my child and I'm like, oh gosh, I really <laughs> have to do better. And when we're aware of that, when we have more time to reflect on our practices, then we can better provide for our children during those times of crisis. Yeah. So, so it's, it's not about fixing the child, really. It's about fixing how we respond to the children. Yeah. It's just like, basically, it's just like a chemistry teacher teaching chemistry, but doesn't know anything about the subject. <laughs> so if, if we're trying to teach our children to control their anger towards their siblings to share, but we don't show it ourselves, you know, um, adults fighting, yeah. husband and wife or teachers or, or, or whatever, they hear it, they see it, they're going to do it. And it's also unfair for us to think that they can do better. They should be better when we aren't keeping ourselves to that standard. Mm. So I talk about that a lot also on the page about how, you know, are, are we demanding too much? Are we expecting too much of the kids when, mm. what are we expecting from ourselves? Mm. Yeah, so just on modeling the, the behavior, it's like uh, if you scream at your child, telling your child not to scream while you are screaming. So. <laughs> inconsistent um yeah I, I think I saw one of your IGTVs where you where you emphasize the importance of modeling the behavior because that's really how they learn so what are some parenting mistakes that you made in the past that you no longer make now not that I no longer make them but I think I am more aware of them uh-huh. it's impossible for me to completely I think eliminate my mistakes especially when you know, we're tired and we just, we feel like we can't deal anymore. But I think I have improved in before I used to reflect at night. For example, if something happened and I responded and it didn't have the outcome I wanted, I'd reflect at night, like, what could I have done? What could I have said instead? What could I have done instead? And it, it had nothing to do with what I wanted her to do or how I wanted her to respond, but always but how could I have responded? But now um, I am better in that I am able to do it in the moment. So before, because of of my anger, I'd have to wait until the nighttime when everything's quiet. And then I could think, okay, that was my mistake to think about it. Or maybe it wasn't that big a deal. I shouldn't have thought of it. And then um, now if I say something or if I let out more anger than I should have or than I intended to. I turn my back, I can go back. Like in my brain, it's already wait, you know, stop. Mm. Mm. So, and then I go back and then I'm almost immediately calmer. I can sit down already and, and talk it out. So sometimes it doesn't even give my child a, a moment to get a word in to respond to my anger because I'm already, okay, wait. You know, mm. this is why, blah, 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 blah. Mm. So not that I don't make any parenting mistakes, but I try to immediately deal with them. Mm. 
So there are two things in what you said that I really love. Uh, first is you always go back to yourself. Instead of focusing on what's wrong with the child, go back to how did I respond? What did I do? How did I say things? Always, what, how can I do better? Yes, how can I do better? And so that's a second point that I love that you, you, you're always improving. You don't think, oh, I'm going to become the perfect mom once I learned this. No, no mom is perfect. No parent is perfect. That you keep improving, you keep learning. And that's okay. That's yeah. everyone's path. I think like, as you said, when I show the messes of my house and things, I accept completely mm -hmm. that my life is not Instagrammable as other, you know, um, social media moms show. I, I don't, I don't have clean anything. <sighs> I don't have it put together. I don't, I don't have clothes, which, you know, I can wear all day and look fresh as can be. <laughs> And I've even posted that, like, okay, today I was able to take a full bath. Yeah, you know, I like, saw that post. <laughs> I completely accept that part. And of course, that carries on to my parenting. And I completely accept that I mm. am never going to be the parent I want to be. Mm. Uh, so when I tell my children, okay, yes, this is your problem. Like, they'll come to me. They fought, blah, 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 blah. Okay, I listen. Okay, what are we going to do now? How are we going to fix this now? It's always looking forward. I'm not going to sit here with you and talk about all the mistakes and problems that happened in your play date or among your siblings or, mm. or whatever. But moving forward, how can we... Because there's nothing we can do about it now. Right? Yeah, that's What's outside happened? your circle of that's control. The, it's happened. Yeah. Just like my house and my mess and <laughs> my inability to shower <laughs> completely. Um, those are things that I have... I have no control over, so it's always looking forward. What can we take control of? And that is always the solution. Mm -hmm. So my children, when they complain, my response is, there is always a, and they all say, solution. So can you look for it? Mm -hmm. What is the solution? So mm -hmm. for, their parent, for my parenting and for their situation, there is always um, a solution. Mm -hmm. So I, I think I posted that... I, I'm sure today or yesterday was take control of what you can control, your, which is your attitude and your behavior and you know, moving forward. So everything right. else you can. Right. So. Um, so we're almost at an hour and you said that you have less than an hour. So for my last <laughs> question, what would be your advice to parents or wannabe parents or future parents uh, who want to do well? But, you know, it's, it's a huge task. We're not taught this in school. It, it can be overwhelming <laughs> or not just uh, for I, parents, but also teachers or anybody who works with children. One is always to reflect, mm. as I said. So that has helped me tremendously. It also makes me see what I need to change in myself. Mm. So sometimes as parents, as adults, we tend to blame because like this, because the, the school I work in is like this, because, you know, I live in a house and, um, for example, my mother-in-law or my mother is controlling, my husband is like this, so I can't do this. I hear a lot of that uh, because of this, things like that. And, and it's a lot of blame on other things they cannot control. Mm. Um, so when we reflect and we realize, wait, there are things I can do, there are things I can take control of, um, then and, and it becomes much easier to listen. Mm. As I said, like, 
we read the research, we, we read all these things, we learned it in school, but we're not listening. So we listen to ourselves. If you're a mother, your intuition, it's there for a reason. It's not just your imagination. It's right. actually really present in yourself. So when you think it's wrong, when you know it's wrong, and but other people are telling you otherwise, mm. you have to learn how to listen to yourself first and right. foremost. Uh, I know parents who are spanking because they were told to spank by, for example, by you know the grandparents, and if they don't feel that it's right, listen to yourself. Um, as teachers, when we're doing programs and you don't feel like it's appropriate, listen to yourself. Like mm-hmm. you have to be proactive in, in that way, and so you reflect and then you listen and then uh, moving forward, what can you do? So you okay. have to act on it. And, and it's just three steps that you can do in small situations and big situations, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it really makes a world of difference mm-hmm. in your everyday even. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you lose the negativity, yeah. you lose the mental load, and um, you feel more in control. Mm-hmm. You feel lighter and you don't feel like things are a burden. You're doing it. You don't understand why, you don't understand if it's working, you don't understand much, but when you reflect and then you listen to yourself and then you take action, then mm. things all of a sudden fall into place and make mm. more sense. Mm. So number one, reflect. Number two is stay within your circle of control, be solution-oriented. Don't get stuck on the stuff you cannot control. And then number three is listen to yourself, listen to your intuition. Well, number two is to listen to yourself. Mm-hmm. And number three is to act on it. What are yeah. you going to do now? So you, you, when you find your why, then you can find your how. Yeah, so when I, you listen, you find your why. And then after that, you'll be able to find your how. How am I going to yeah. move forward from this? So as a new mom, for example, people are pressuring you to do things. You know, you listen to yourself and then you find, no, I'm going to do it this way. This is mm-hmm. how I want to do it. As a teacher, um, you know, you, you're able to talk to your, your boss and say, wait, sit down and say, it's not working. The children aren't learning this way. They're not happy. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's something we can do differently. Yeah. So to not just blindly keep doing the same thing that's not working. <laughs> To basically advocate for yourself or for the children, you know, I mean, when you listen and you realize what's missing, what's wrong, what you can do about it, then you're able to do, to do things. Yeah. Okay. So I think that's a very good note to end with. There's lots of advice, lots of really good material in this conversation for, I think, for everybody, for parents mostly and for, for people working with children, myself included. So thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're really busy and your newborn is only two weeks old. So thank you, Teacher Bea. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Bye. So there you go. We covered a lot of tools in this interview, but please do not stop at knowing the concepts and ideas. Apply them. That's how change really happens. And like Teacher Bea says, don't stop at one try. Keep practicing, keep honing, keep adjusting. That's what she herself did. It's what I also do with my work with children. I promise you, you will see improvement in the child's life, in your life, and in your relationship with them. I've witnessed this over and over and over. 
Re-listen to this interview a few more times if you have to. And of course, follow Teacher Bea online. She posts such good, useful stuff. I will put her IG handle in the show notes. And do share this with parents and teachers and anybody you know who might benefit from it. Or simply post it on Instagram or Facebook or whatever platform you are on so that it's available to those who might want it. Lastly, I will continue to post a new episode regularly, but it will very likely have to be less than once a week for the moment because I'm at a period where I'm doing a lot of other stuff and I also have a few health issues that don't allow me to work at my normal rhythm. It's honestly frustrating for me because I like being regular, but I've also made the mistake of pushing myself too hard in the past and I paid dearly for it. So I'm going to practice being gentle with myself this time. That's it for this episode, and thank you for listening. Bye!